And so we started a couple weeks ago um, with this little image of a triangle. And uh, in the middle, that's supposed to be a crown of thorns. And uh, we, we, I shared about a guy who has impacted my life a lot, um, kind of saying, what, is, what are the basic things that they teach the new believers? And what are the basic things that they teach um, they're new churches, and he's a guy who has started um, church, church kind of planting movements in different parts of the world, um, in China and in other places of the world. And because of the fact that there's not, you can't wait for a really, really long time to get, you know, long seminary training and all these other things. They say, how, how do you do it? What's the basic things that you make sure your, your individuals and your churches have? And he says, well, we like to keep it simple. Um, we feel like Jesus kind of highlights a few things, like uh, people ask him, what's the most important commandment? And uh, he says, well, it's, it's to love God with your, your whole heart and your whole being. And what's the most, uh, and the second commandment is just like it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's, that's the great commandment, or the two great commandments. And then after he raises from the dead and uh, he gets ready to leave his disciples, he says, I'm giving you a job. Te lo encargo. I'm giving you this, this, this job to do as, I, as you wait for me to come back. And that is to make disciples of all nations. And that was the job that he gave them. And so he said, we like to focus on those things. They, those, those, those three things take a lot of energy, actually. And you could spend pretty much your whole life... Um, Growing in your love of God, growing in your love of people, and growing in your ability to, to be a disciple who makes disciples. Um, and so they say, we have God as our king, and this is what we teach. And so a few weeks ago, we looked at loving God, and we talked about these different, we used kind of these different images to talk about what it means to love God. And I, we talked about it a little bit every week, so I won't say much, but um, talked about the idea that to love God means to not, it's not the question of like, am I in, or am I just, you know, how, what do I need to do for God to just get to heaven, which is sometimes what you have people say, what do I just, what's like the minimum I need to do? It's actually the question the guy who asked uh, Jesus about what the greatest commandments were. He says he wanted to justify himself, and that's where Jesus gave us the great, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. But rather than a question of like, what's like the minimum requirements I need to be good with God? Um, it seems like God says, what does it mean to love me with your whole hearts and with your whole being, with your whole soul? What does it mean to strive towards me? And so we looked at um, sort of this image with these arrows and this cross and the thicker arrows uh, that are green going towards the cross sort of represent people who are just truly in love with God and racing towards God with all their heart and God is the center of their life and then the uh, arrows that are purple sort of represent people who are drifting away and some of the less intense arrows are people kind of love is slowly growing cold or slowly growing to love God more but where are you with that and we talked about our love from God coming from our father's love for us and that as our father loves us um, he's made a new covenant with us, and as he loves us, he gives us a new identity as his kids, as his children, uh, children of God and friends of God, which is, that is an awesome thing to be able to say, God is my friend. I mean, how cool is that? Uh, you say, I don't have any friends, but I, God's my friend, so that's a pretty good friend. Uh, that's a good one. Uh, God is your friend. He gives you this identity as a child of God, as a friend of God. And from that, you begin to want to obey him. And uh, oftentimes people want to do it the other way. Like, let me just get right with God. Let me obey God. Let me be really good first. And as long as I'm good, then God will love me. But it doesn't really work that way. It works that God loves you first. And as God loves you and you receive his love, it transforms you. And that moves you to a desire to follow him with your whole life. And we talked about as you follow God and you abide in Christ, um, he will prune you. And part of loving God and trusting God means giving him the, 
giving him the shears and saying, I recognize that there's a whole lot of work left to be done in me, and you may prune away. And as he prunes us, we grow uh, in fruitfulness. So we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And then after that, we talked about what it means to love people. And we talked about how the world sort of splits people into lots of different categories. You know, in Chicago, we have lots of different categories of people. But in the Bible, it kind of makes two interesting distinctions. It says those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. Uh, those are kind of the two broad categories that the Bible looks at. And it's amazing how those who are in Christ, God, you know, says some radical things in his word. He says those who are in Christ are neither Greek nor Jew nor slave nor free nor male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus, your new creation. And this is all, once you're in Christ, you're part of this new family. Uh, but for, for loving people, what is so amazing about the way Jesus teaches is he says, of course, you're supposed to love each other. And we looked at, I think I gave you guys a little piece of paper that had like 59 verses of what the verses talking about loving each other. And what does it mean for us to love each other who belong um, to Christ because we're his body. And then, uh, but also we need to love other people who are outside of the, the, the body of Christ. And we're commanded to do so uh, to those who are far off. And Jesus is the great example of not just loving those who are far off, but loving his enemies and praying for those and forgiving those who are crucifying him while he was getting crucified. I mean, that is so radical. And uh, I took kind of the titles from Coach's book about who is my neighbor. And um, it's a good little book to think through. What does it mean? Who was, it, who was the neighbor in the story of the Good Samaritan? And it's, it's mind-blowing to think all through what that means. Um, so that's loving God and that's loving people. Uh, but I think that Jesus doesn't just leave it as loving God and loving people. I think he says, love God, love people, and make disciples. You, and you have to be intentional. I feel like the thing about all three of these things is you have to be intentional about each one. Otherwise, you probably won't do it. You know, if you say, well, I'm going to love people and God's what it really means to follow God. And sometimes I hear people say this when I share uh, with people outside on the street or neighbors. Say, well, God just wants us to love each other. And so I try to be a good neighbor and love people. Say, well, that's all right. But uh, I think he, he wants you to love him too. I mean, that is a part of what it means to love God. But he's also calling you to a place where you'll love him. And where you come and you worship him. And uh, you gather together with other people who want to worship him. And sometimes you'll have people say, well, I go to church and I love God. And and that's kind of enough. So, no, you're, you're called to be an active agent for the kingdom. Not just to love God internally, but to love people, to love each other here, uh, to love your neighbors, to love whoever God puts in your path, and then to tell other people about Jesus and to make disciples. I think all three of these things um, work together. And similarly, you can't just say I'm all about making disciples, and you can easily get into a place where you get into just kind of like numbers and how many people are saying yes or no. But if you don't love them and if you don't love God, then it, it's it. Doesn't, doesn't hold weight. And so last week we started to talk about what does it look like to love God and we use, or to make disciples. And we use this little tool that's called the, the four fields, which is a helpful tool for discipleship. And uh, Leslie, who's with us today, she actually teaches some of this stuff in Nicaragua. So if you, if you have questions and feel like, man, Chris's sermon made no sense, come and talk to Leslie afterwards and she can make sense of it for you. Um, but uh, um, we looked at just kind of the basic commandment to make disciples, which comes from the Great Commission. And then these four different fields and uh, the first of those fields is what they call the empty field. And the empty field talks about that you need to, at some point if you're going to make new disciples, you need to be in contact with people who are not disciples. Uh, you can't really, you know, you can't, you, at some point you have to connect with those who are far from God if you're going to teach them about God. And how do you do that? What does that look like? Uh, for many of us, we already have lots of that built into our life because we have relatives and we have neighbors and we have coworkers. We have people in our lives who are far from God. And so we don't have to be super creative to find 
find people who are far from God. We just need to talk to the people who we see all of the time. But sometimes we think, well, I don't really know how to engage. What does it look like to engage with those who are far from God? And uh, we talked about some of the things that need to happen in your heart in order for that to happen, like to have a growing love for those who are far from God. And in order to have your heart be in line with God's heart, if you have no love for those who are far from God, um, your heart is not in line with God's heart. And if I have times where I go through life and say, I, don't know, I just don't care, it's a lot of burden to worry about, um, but God doesn't stop caring. And I'm thankful that he doesn't stop caring because came to, to rescue me and to rescue my family. And had he stopped caring 500 years ago, my old family would have been lost. So uh, God, God's heart is for those who are far from him. And that needs to happen. And then a belief. And I find sometimes in church that people just don't believe that, that, that people will want to hear about God. And uh, I remember having a conversation with a pastor and he told me, you know, I just don't feel like people in this neighborhood have interest in God. And uh, I was visiting with a, a pastor and I said, of course they have interest in following God because Jesus says the harvest is ready. He doesn't say the harvest is ready, but not your harvest. Your harvest, that's never going to be ready. I mean, let's be honest. No, the harvest is ready. Uh, maybe people are not interested in coming to your church. Maybe people are not interested in all sorts of things, but it's not that they're not interested in God. And sometimes we have to think of different ways to let people know the harvest is ready. Uh, and if the tool you're using for harvesting isn't harvesting, it's not that the harvest is not ready. It might be that you need a new tool. It might be that you need to change some of your tactics. And so uh, I believe I believe with all my heart that in Little Village that the harvest is ready. I really, truly believe it. And for those who I know who have been sharing a little more aggressively, it's amazing how few times people tell you totally no. Uh, when you say, hey, would you be interested in God? If you, even if you're not interested right now, would you be willing, if you're not willing to say yes now, could we meet and could we talk more about this? And whenever we've said that with people, almost always the answer is yes. Like almost every time. Um, there's been some times that we've had like people be like, nah, the answer is no. Um, but by and large, the majority is yes. I mean, uh, Krista at one point, she had in, in, in one week, she had eight people pray with her and say, I'll, I want to follow Jesus. Right there on the spot said, I want to follow Jesus. And then she just said, I don't have any time to follow up with everybody. Uh, but uh, people are interested and people, the harvest is ready. Uh, but it might be that the harvest is ready in a way that is different harvesting than the way we've, that we, way we've harvested in the past. Uh, it might be that it has to look a little bit more like it looked for a lot of our, our history. So those are some things about the empty field. And then the seated field means at some point you have to tell people about Jesus. And most people, in most studies, uh, most people who are following Jesus in the course of a given year never tell anybody else about how to follow Jesus or share their faith. And that's not, uh, Paco and I realized this last year at the beginning of the year that um, in our church, uh, in Spanish and English, Londo Karlov, we realized we had not done a lot of training to tell people how to do that. We just hadn't. So we couldn't really say to the church, why aren't you telling people about Jesus? Because we hadn't really, we hadn't really done anything to make that happen. And so um, one of the things that we focused on during the last, last year um, is saying, we'd like to train you on how to share your faith. We want you to know how. And the more you do it, the more, if you're gifted at evangelism, it's not that hard. Just like if you're gifted at administration, it's not hard. Um, but if you're not gifted at something, if it's not something that comes to you automatically, it's usually hard and it's usually awkward. And, uh, and you need some training and you need some equipping. And when you are in a situation where you don't know what you're going to say, you know, the first sermons I ever gave when I was really nervous to stand up here, as opposed to just moderately nervous, and I would be like, what am I going to say? And I would freak out. And so I would write down everything. I would write, I would manuscript the entire sermon because I said, if I go up there, I'm going to freak out. And at some point, I'm going to look at everyone and go, 
<laughs> and then just not know what to say. So I would write down everything so I would know what to say in case I got lost. And I have found that sharing your faith is like that a lot of times. It's good to know. You know, the Spirit's going to move all sorts of different ways. But it's good to know what you're going to say when you go into it. Um, because it's, for most people, it's scary and it's awkward and they don't know what to say. And so it's good to have something that you know what you're going to say and to practice it and have your song down well so that when you get there, you're ready to sing. And even though you're terrified and shaking and sweating, you just open your mouth and you sing. And so it's good, it's good to know. And so we looked at last week uh, a tool that, that we've used, this tool called the Three Circles, which I love because it tells you the big story of God. It's Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22 in like three minutes. So it's a really, really cool way to tell the story of God. There's other ways to tell the story of God, but that is one. So that's what we talked about last week. Um, so this week what I want to talk about are the last kind of two points, which is um, of, of this sort of diagram, which is the growing field and the harvest field. What does it look like after you've said, I, I've engaged with people who are far from God. I know what to share with people who are far from God. I've shared, what do I do next? What do I do next? And um, I sometimes find people who say, you know, the thing I don't like about evangelism or mass evangelism or whatever is because all sorts of people say yes, but then you never hear from them ever again. And, and that's true. Uh, that happens a lot. And so that's why Jesus' goal is really not to get people to say yes to something, but Jesus' goal is to make disciples, is to make disciples. And disciples are people who have said yes to Jesus that's kind of evangelism, and then are, have said yes to becoming more like him and learning what it means to follow him. And uh, that, of course, takes your whole life. Um, but how do you get somebody along on that path? What, is that, what does that look like? Um, so that's kind of what we want to talk about a little bit today. And then what do you do with them? What do you do with people who said yes in the long term? What happens next? Um, so as you share with somebody, you're going to get a couple different answers. If you share with somebody, they might tell you, um, I, don't, I don't like what you're saying. The answer is no, I have zero interest, which in that case, there's not a whole lot that you can do. Um, they might say, well, maybe. That's kind of interesting, and um, there's things you can do next. So they might say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I like it. And it's surprising. If you haven't shared your faith a lot, um, it's surprising. it surprises you when people say yes. Uh, I remember kind of the, I, I just was assuming people would say no all the time. And I feel like the first people that God gave me the opportunity to share with were my friends growing, that I grew up with. And my first time sharing with them, um, it went really bad. They all said no. And uh and none of them till today are, are believers. And I tried right away. I got excited. I became a Christian. I shared with, like, my best friend. And he was like, I haven't told you, but I'm, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in, I think you have an invisible friend. And I said, oh, um, well, let me just read some books, and uh, I'll teach you about it. And I tried really hard with this friend for a really long time. And today... Uh, whatever it is, 20 years later, he is an atheist still. It didn't work. And I feel like that bad experience for me in the beginning, in my beginning time following Jesus, sort of like turned me off from wanting to share. I felt like maybe people don't really want to hear this. Maybe the harvest isn't ready. Um, that harvest wasn't ready, but uh, maybe the harvest is not ready. And it made me think people don't really want to hear this very much. And so I remember when I finally got over that fear and began to share with people um, what God had done in my life and ask people they wanted to know more, I, I was like surprised when people would say yes. And like the first guy who said yes, I was like, oh, that's okay. I don't want to bother you. Whoa, for real? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think you were going to be, I didn't think you were interested. Uh, that's really surprising to me. Okay, cool. Uh, what do I do now? I'm not really sure. Uh, high five, I guess. I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, what do you do next? It's good to know where to go. And so what I would like to share, just this verse from this idea of the growing field. 1 Timothy 4.16 has kind of helped me to think through this. It says, this is Paul investing in somebody who he had discipled, who was Timothy. 
and he says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch your life and your doctrine. And I think helping people to follow Jesus has to do a lot with both of those things, both what you believe, your, your doctrine, and your life, what you, what you do, what is the things that you actually do. And uh, I think both need to be together. And then sometimes we think the goal is for someone who's following Jesus is now to learn lots of information. And we give them lots of content to learn and say, just learn all this stuff and that will be good. And you should learn lots of stuff. There's lots to learn about Jesus and you will learn forever. Um, but we know from all sorts of different th reasons, we can know that there are many people who what they believe does not impact what they do. And it's not necessarily connected to what they, their, their beliefs to their actions. And so Paul tells Timothy, watch your life and watch your doctrine. Watch both of those things. Watch the way you live and watch what you believe. Um, because by that you will save yourself and you will save your hearers as well. And so I think when in, the, in the goal of making disciples has to be both about what you do and about what you believe. And in our kind of tradition, and by our tradition I mean Western Christianity in general, um, we have focused a lot more on what you know. Um, the focus has been on get a lot of information. That has been the focus. And uh, it's amazing how both, you know, think of times like the Civil War, where the North and the South each sang hymns to Jesus and prayed and went to church and fasted and worshipped and then went and slaughtered each other. And you say, why did their life make no sense with what they believe? And in the great world wars, in World War I especially, both sides 100% believed that they were what God wanted. And it went terribly. And they both believed and sang hymns and wrote songs and then marched off and slaughtered each other. How... How did they know so much? I mean, Germany was the, the country, if you were to say, if you were to look 100 years ago and say, what country in the world is the country that knows Scripture the most? That has the best theologians, the best seminaries, the best teachers. Um, nobody would ever doubt 100 years ago the answer was Germany. Everyone 100% agreed with that. In fact, uh, in, in older seminaries, and still if you want to get a doctoral degree in theology in some seminaries, you have to learn German. Uh, you have, part of it, you have to learn Hebrew, you have to learn Greek, you have to learn Latin, and you have to learn German to be able to interact with those theologians. So why is it that the country that knew the most is also the country that just led us into two wars of mass slaughter singing Hallelujah Jesus? Like, why did it happen? And I think it's been partially because there's been a whole lot of watch what you believe and less watch what you do. But the goal is that what you do and what you believe will be the exact same. And uh, the space between what I believe and what I do, uh, that space is, is what's called in the Bible hypocrisy. That's, that's that space. And man, we've all, we've all been hypocrites at some point, uh, sometimes often, because none of us usually are doing everything that we know and we believe. Um, but the goal in discipleship to be to help people to act and to help people to believe. It's not classes. It's not just learning lots of stuff. It's saying, what does it mean for me to say yes? And uh, because we know that we are saved by grace, and we know it is faith in Jesus and the grace of Jesus and not our works that saves us, sometimes we push away from discipleship that says, what are you going to do? What's, what happens next? What kind of accountability is there? What are you going to actually, what is it going to look like to take action? Um, but I think that what I've learned over the last, uh, not that long, I feel like the key is in discipleship is to be able to learn how to act and to learn what to believe in and how to share with other people as well. And so, we can't go through all of these things today, but this little next kind of picture has all sorts of stuff that we like to teach. Um, 
And uh, this is if you're interested and say, I'd like to learn, I'd like to either be discipled or I'd like to learn how to make disciples in this way. I know some of you have already seen this, some of you have not. Um, there's all sorts of different things I think are important that we have begun to sort of teach. Things like, what does it mean to share my faith? What does it mean to get baptized? Why do I get baptized? How do I baptize other people? Um, what does it mean to read scripture? How do I feed myself scripture? And how do I teach other people to read scripture? I don't want to just know how to do it for myself, but I want to teach others. Um, how does it mean to pray? How do I pray? Not just that prayer is good, but how do I actually pray? If you ever feel like, I don't really know how to pray. I don't pray a lot because I don't know what to do. You are not alone. Jesus' disciples at one point go up to Jesus and they say, Master, we do not know how to pray. We have no idea. Would you teach us how to pray? And that's where the, the our Father prayer comes out of is that question of them saying, we don't actually. It's been good following you. We don't know how to pray. Would you show us the right way to pray? Um, and he showed them. What does it mean to love each other? We're saying love each other, but how do you do that? What does it mean to be generous? Why do we take the Lord's Supper? What does it look, why do we even do that? I mean, how many traditions have we participated in over the years that we have no idea why we do them or what is it like or how do I engage that? What is worship? You know, when I first came into a Christian church and a bunch of people said, now is the time where we sing, I mean, I thought, that's cool. But my whole life, I never really got why we sang songs to Jesus. Like, all right, and cheer church, so now we do four songs. I don't really understand why. Like, why do we do that? And why do some people raise their hand? Do they have a question? What's going on? I have no idea. Like, what, the, you know, the first time I went into, I went to a Christian college, and they, a bunch of people had gone to, like, camps together over the years. And there was a song, and they all started doing hand motions. And I was like, man, these guys are going to pass out the poison uh, juice soon. I am out. I don't know what's going on in this place. Like, why do we do this stuff with our hands? Why are some people... Why do people kneel down? What is it? Why do we worship? What does it look like? Uh, so we want to teach people how to worship and uh, what, why do we do that? What is leadership? You know, what does the Bible say about growing and to be a mature Christian and into a leader? What does that look like? What are the requirements? What is the, I mean, the Bible has a lot to say about that. Um, what does it mean to, to grow? You know, the book of Acts, the story of the church says that God added daily to their numbers. How did that, how did that happen? The, the Lord isn't adding daily to our numbers. How did that, how did that work? Uh, how do we go about that? How does that happen? I mean, was there specific things that happened? Did they just pray and it happened? Like, what, what went down? Um, how do you persevere? And one of the things that's the most important is how do you persevere? How do you not quit in the long haul? Because it's tiring and you, you want to quit. And there's some people who are temporarily quit uh, right now, even from our church. Where they're coming back. I'm sure they are. They don't know it yet. Uh, but, uh, and then how do you set yourself up well to succeed in the long haul? So we want to be able to teach people to say yes to Jesus and then know what to do after that. And if you feel like I don't know how to do that or I don't know those things myself, man, I would love to spend time with you and, and teach you and teach you to teach other people. I would love it. It's uh, one of the things I most enjoy. And we would love to get together and get groups together to do that. So that is discipleship. How do we make disciples? And then finally, how do these disciples get together and form and be a church and get together? Because uh, although many people like the idea of saying, I kind of want to just follow Jesus, but just want to do it on my own. I don't really want to um, get together as, as the body. Um, you actually can't follow Jesus just 100% by yourself. If you are the only believer in your town, you can. Uh, you're it. You know, the Ethiopian eunuch is a story where uh, this guy becomes a Christian and then he's sent on his own to Ethiopia and there's like no other Christians with him. So he was the guy who went to the church of one, at least until he shared his faith with somebody else. But for most of us, you know, you actually have to grow together with other people. So what does that look like? And, uh, now this verse from 1 Corinthians 12 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Um, the second you say yes to Jesus, you join this actual spiritual thing, which is the body of Christ, or is the temple. Peter calls it living stones. You're a living stone. Like, Wah! 
living stone of the temple of God because the temple is us and you've joined it. And what does it mean to be that thing uh, in a local place? And so what I'd like to do just that, uh, well, I guess I'll say, I'll skip over. Can you go two more, uh, Alex? Yeah, that one's good. Um, and then the last thing is, how does that reproduce itself? Because if there's one thing that has happened throughout all of history is the church just continues to reproduce itself all the time. And it's interesting in harvests, when something is harvested, in the harvest um, is always the seed for next year's harvest. And it's just kind of the way, it's kind of the way farm life works, I guess. I don't know very much about it, but uh, it's there, you know. And in any seed, there's the potential for a forest. And any, you know, single seed could become a tree that could be filled with all sorts of other seeds that could plant an entire forest. So what, is that, what does that look like and how does that go? So what I'd like to do is just sort of uh, read one story. We won't have a lot of time from the book of Acts of where, where these kind of four fields show up. And uh, it's a story of Paul. And uh, Paul, as he would go out, I think he would do a lot of these things. Didn't do it exactly the same as us. Didn't do it exactly the same nearly any two times in a row. He often had all sorts of craziness happen. But this is Acts uh, 16, chapter 11. And Paul went out with, uh, first he went out on his first missionary journey. He went out with Barnabas, and then he went out again um, with Timothy. And uh, this is his story with Silas, and this is kind of one of those moments. So Acts 16.11 says, From Troas we put out the sea, and we sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Teatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a, that's a city, by the way, it's like in the middle of Turkey now. So she was a, she was a migrant lady who had migrated to uh, what's now, I guess, Greece. And was, she was a merchant and selling purple cloth, I guess, in the old days. wasn't too easy to come across. So uh, she was making bank. Uh, she was a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And then I'm going to go all the way down, although it's really, really interesting, all the way down to 40. And it says in chapter, in verse 40, it says, after Paul and Silas came out of prison, and there's a great story that would be fun to share of them going to prison and the prisoner's family, the, the guard's family coming to know the Lord. After they come out of prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters, which now there's a bunch of brothers and sisters, and, uh, and encouraged them, and then they left. And what I feel like happens in this story, we find Paul, the em Paul starts with the empty field. Uh, he goes because he actually saw a vision to go to Macedonia. And so he goes and he says yes to this vision to go to Macedonia. And when he gets to Macedonia, he says, I don't know anyone in Macedonia. I have nothing in Macedonia. I have no contacts. So they start to think, where can we engage? This is an empty field. Where can we engage with people who don't know um, who Jesus are? Of course, the entire city didn't know. But where would there be some people who maybe would be kind of interested? And so he goes to a river. And the river has a place of prayer. And uh, he knew that there would be a place of prayer there. It looks like, from what most people say, probably there was not a synagogue in that town, which is what Paul usually did first. And so um, when there wasn't a synagogue, 
they would meet maybe in a home or somewhere else. But whatever it is, he ends up going to this river where he thinks, there I'll find somebody who's maybe a little bit more interested. And he shows up and he begins to share with these women who are there. There's a group of women who are meeting there. And he just starts, that's, that's the empty field. He goes in. And the seated field is he goes to these people who he finds at this place of prayer. And he starts sharing the gospel with them. He starts telling them about Jesus. And they say yes. They say yes to the story of Jesus. And they respond. And we don't know exactly how much time before Paul's in jail, but it says that he just kept going back to that river. Like the next verses are, he's kind of by the river and he's getting arrested. But uh, uh, he goes back, but at some point or another, you get by the end of verse 40, there's a church formed in his house. You know, she goes into her house, her family comes to know the Lord, and by verse 40, there's a little church in Philippi that's meeting together. And we know that Paul taught them. And if you want to know some of the things that Paul taught them, you can read Philippians, uh, because that probably refers to some of the things that he taught them about. But he taught them, he taught them how to follow Jesus, and he formed them into a little church, and then he moved on from there. And eventually he comes to, I believe, uh, I believe that's, I'm not sure exactly what city goes to Thessalonica next, and he continues through his journey through Macedonia, um, and he reproduces himself that way. And by the time he's done, he's left all sorts of little churches all throughout the entire Mediterranean region to the point that eventually Paul gets to, and he says, when he looks at his work in what we now look at as sort of like the eastern half of the Mediterranean, he looks at that world and he says, I have no place left in that area to do any more work. I'm done. I reached all of it. There's, no one, there's nothing left for me to do. I need to go farther west. Send me to Spain. And so he writes like a missionary support letter called Romans to get the Romans to uh, give him money to help him to get to Spain. And while he's at it, takes advantage to explain the greatest depths of uh, the gospel. He's like, while well, I'm asking you for money, let me take another 10 chapters to give you the best good stuff you can ever ask for. Much better than my support letters ever were. Uh, but uh, that's what he does. He engages and he does that. And so the worship team can come up. What I'd like to do just to finish, um, I really believe going forward this year, we're going to start next year with a fast. And uh, that's a good way to start a year, partially because usually around January you have no money and you're overweight. <laughs> and so it's a good time to fast as good as any. I'm like, well, I ate 6,400 cookies in four weeks, so I guess it's a good time to not eat anything for three weeks. Uh, and so we start with a fast, but that's not the only reason. It's also good to start with a fast to kind of prepare ourselves mentally for uh, the year coming up. It's going to start on the 9th uh, in, in uh, January 9th. And one of the things that I am praying and fasting about, what I believe, I truly believe that the harvest is ready. The harvest is ready in Little Village. I believe it with all my heart. Um, but I do believe that the means of harvesting um, is not the same as it once was in the United States. I really do. I don't think you can just put a sign on a door and say, everybody, here's a church, show up. I don't think they show up. Uh, I don't think you can just have the greatest programming. We don't have the money to have the greatest programming anyways, but I don't think you can just say we're going to have the best programming and everyone's going to want to come. Um, we're going to have the best preacher. Too late. Uh, you have me. Uh, you can't. Uh, I don't think that's the way you get the harvest anymore. I really don't. I think we have to go back old school. I think the harvest is 100% ready all around us. Um, but what would it look like for just each, for each couple that's here, for each individual that's here, to reach one person in this next year and to pray and to fast? And if you say, I don't know how, I'll teach you how. One person, you know what would happen? Is the church would grow by over 100% in one year. That's what would happen. Uh, and so I believe that the harvest is ready, but I believe it's ready in a different way. And I believe we have to go and we have to get it. And we have to go find it out there. 
And I believe that God wants you to be a part of that. I really do. And if you feel like I don't know how to do it, I want to show you. I feel like I know how. Remember when Jesus said, I'll make you a fisher of men? I feel like for the first time in my entire life, like I know how to be a fisher for men. I know how to do it more than ever before. I actually don't even have time for follow-up. I have too many people to connect with. Uh, I need help. I need help. But I feel like the harvest is ready. And I feel like if we are a people who has God as king, and if we love Jesus with our whole hearts, and if we love people and the way we interact as a church and as individuals, we love each other here and we love our neighbors who have nothing to do with us and we don't even like us. And I believe if we commit ourselves to the task of making disciples, I truly believe this next year that God will greatly use this church. Amen? Uh, so why don't we finish together in worship in this song. And uh, well, I guess during this song, if you could take a moment just to pray and then we'll finish in just a second. But why don't you pray and speak to the Lord? Maybe. Maybe you feel like, as we talked these last four weeks even, God kind of pricked your heart with something, and you feel like, God, I, I want to love you more, or I want to love people who are far from you more, or I just, I don't love my neighbor very much, I just don't have time to love my neighbor, or uh, it's hard to love each other here because, it's, you know, there's not enough time, or whatever, whatever it could be. Maybe you feel like I've never engaged in the mission of making disciples, maybe because I don't know how, or maybe because I just haven't wanted to. Um, but let's spend some time speaking to the Lord during this song. Ask him to bring conviction and clarity of where we should work in this next little season of life. And then we will finish together in worship. So Lord Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us now as we look towards you. We thank you that following you is not super complicated, um, but it is work. Harvesting is a metaphor of work and uh, it does take energy. But at the same time, God, we thank you that your promise is that you will be with us always, even to the end of the age. And you are the one who wants uh, wants us to succeed more than we want us to succeed. So God, I pray that you would, uh, you would speak to us now and you would bring about conviction and clarity and unity. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's speak to the Lord during, during this song and, and then we will finish together in worship.
to save us, God. And God, you, just as you've come to us and you've saved us and you've rescued us, uh, we, we, we want to receive that gift by loving you uh, with our whole heart, by loving each other and loving those who are far from you, just as you did, including loving us and uh, caring for us, God. And God, we want to continue your mission. You came at great price to, to purchase your bride, which is the church. And God, we pray that you would give us vision and willingness to even sacrifice, God. See, many people come to know you because you are worthy, because you are good, and because there's nothing better than belonging to you. So, God, we love you, and we pray that you would, uh, during this Christmas season, reflect on your, your coming and what you've done in our life, that you would uh, mold our hearts, align our hearts with yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, why don't we stand up together, and we'll finish with this song, and then next week we have just regular time service. After that, we will be... Uh, meeting the following week, the 25th at 11 o'clock, together with the Spanish service. May God bless you, and uh, we will see you, if not during the week, next week.
Amen, church. There's a glorious night that's coming, and we can live it out every day. Do that this week. Go in grace and peace. Love and serve the Lord your God. Amen.